The job is to be in the tunnel and find your own light. There is literally never an end to it. And if you live for the light, you are not living. You have to figure out how to be in the tunnel and like create light. Welcome to Sand, an independent podcast covering stories of busy people slowing down. I'm Jonathan Karen, founder and CEO of Mapilin, a skin and hair care company for men, created with natural ingredients from the Mediterranean. In this podcast, we'll host influential figures, founders and CEOs of large companies, entrepreneurs with great passion to talk about their journeys and their way of slowing down. Katya Beecham is the co-founder and CEO of Birchbox, the beauty e-commerce site and product sample subscription box service. Since its inception in 2010, Birchbox has gained more than 1 million subscribers globally and 4 million total customers. Recently, Birchbox also launched an exciting partnership with Walgreens to roll out distinct Birchbox retail experiences in 11 Walgreens stores across six markets to give the everyday beauty consumer an elevated, intuitive, and stress-free way to discover and shop for prestige beauty. Katya lives in New York with her husband. She is what you can call an entrepreneur mother, raising four children between the ages of five years old and six months. Thank you, Katya, for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's beautiful. I, so we're recording this in the Mapilima pop-up. And uh, Katya, I'd love to ask you, how did Birchbox start? Sure. So started Birchbox in business school. Initially, our plan, my co-founder and I were planning to write a business plan. That was it. We, we wanted to graduate business school with experience writing a business plan. And we saw an opportunity in beauty basically because we were women, obviously users of beauty, though not obsessed with beauty. And we noticed that beauty wasn't a part of this conversation around disruptive innovation. And we knew beauty was big. And we asked the question, why wasn't beauty being kind of quote unquote disrupted? And it just piqued our interest and got us thinking about opportunity um, that people thought was really difficult for beauty in the internet because disruptive innovation is typically paired with internet and bringing um, experiences digitally. And beauty hadn't really been a part of the dialogue essentially because it's such a tactile sensorial category that people felt, you know, you you need to try it and consumers said it too. So we said, we, we have to overcome that and we have to overcome a few other things, but we'll figure that out and we will make it possible to discover and buy beauty on the internet. And that's really the impetus for the idea of Birchbox and what got us really excited and changed our entire thinking from let's write a business plan to let's launch a company. So how did you go about actually starting it? I mean, from a business plan to an actual business, how did that happen? Well, well, first we had to come up with, you know, what Birchbox was going to be. So we knew we wanted to become a destination place to discover beauty online because what we saw was that In 2009, at the end of the year, there was still only about 2 to 3% of beauty sold on the internet. And we basically assumed that must only be replenishment. You're not really getting discovery business. And when we talked, when we thought about ourselves as consumers and talked to other consumers, we realized that the biggest problem of the internet for beauty wasn't actually the trial. It was the 
endlessness of it all. Mm -hmm. Um, and this idea of the paradox of choice and even in a store, you know, in a typical multi-brand store, like a department store or specialty store, you walk in and there's 20 to a hundred thousand things on the floor And, and someone says, may I help you? And my co-founder and I just felt that that was a ridiculous question. You know, when there's 20,000 things and, you know, 1,000 of them say they moisturize your skin, you know, what do you do at right. that point, right? So, And also um, it's kind of a personal thing, right? Discovering what works for you is not what works for everybody else. Right. Sometimes. And also, I mean, even just admitting you don't know where to start is a part of the hurdle, right? So mm-hmm. we realized that we had to limit the option set in order to help you make choices. And so that was the original, you know, idea of Birchbox. We said, how can we make it instead of, may I help you in this open-ended kind of intimidating question, we felt a very simple question of like, do you want to specifically buy this thing? So that's how we came up with this idea of, okay, well, we're going to give you only four or five things at once. And you can answer that simple question of, do you want to buy it? And then we realized, well, there is an opportunity to obviously give that to you at a steady cadence that doesn't feel like this fire hose of product, but rather feels like a nice, enjoyable drip of product where over time you are finding and collecting your favorite things, kind of always replacing as something else intrigues you or always adding, but you don't have to just all at once say, this overhaul is happening and I have to invest all of this time and learn about it. So we came up with, um, we wanted that feeling. And so we realized that we could send it to you on a subscription and that that made sense for this category. But we also felt that the way people had to go from discovery to purchase of beauty was work. It was cumbersome. And the way it was working in 2010, which is crazy is, um, you know, it was kind of like internet, like ping ponging between internet and stores. It was like research maybe, or magazine even was a thing still. Um, People were reading things. And so research and then store for trial and then like vetting again online, you know, reading reviews and then store for purchase, especially if it was a prestige product. So we said, we have to do it all. We have to be the place to discover. We have to be the place to educate. We have to be the place to sell. And um, so that's how we came up with the model of that it would be personalized subscription, a little things at a time, monthly, and we would teach you about all the product and then you could buy them directly from birchbox.com. And um, from there, we had to get brands to say yes, which was a whole hurdle. And then from there, we had to get customers. And then from there, we had to get money. And then from there, we had to get more customers and more money. So in summary. And there (laughs) there wasn't nearly as many subscription boxes at the time, right? We were, were, I think we launched right around the same time as Shoe Dazzle, which doesn't exist anymore. But we were the first to um, take it to the category of of beauty. And and I think, you know, we actually really don't see ourselves as a a box company. We never started Birchbox thinking, how can we sell people samples and sell a subscription? We really didn't. We really, really thought about how do we make it delightful to discover? How do we make it so discovery doesn't feel like work? And frankly, how do we make it so you never get in a rut? with what you're doing because that's silly. It's beauty grooming. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to make us feel special. It's supposed to, you know, help us feel great about ourselves. Why would we ever want to do it if it was a chore? Mm -hmm. So that was really the impetus. And then we realized that a subscription of samples was a great, you know, a great way to do that. But I think what's come out of that, which is a lot of subscriptions of samples, um, 
I don't know that they have that same insight and they, they certainly don't have the same customer in mind that we do. Thinking about a time that there were no subscription boxes, <laughs> specifically in beauty, you guys were, I mean, that's so genius. How did you come up with it? I mean, it makes sense now, but it didn't exist before you guys did it. I mean, everybody told us it wouldn't work and, and we obviously didn't realize we'd be inventing a category. We just thought, well, I would be willing to pay for somebody to make this enjoyable. And it wasn't obviously so exorbitant that it felt like that was very out of reach. And people said, well, nobody is going to pay. Consumers are used to getting samples for free. There's actually, you know, billions of dollars being spent in this idea of a gift with purchase that is a thing. It's been a thing for decades, you know, and we wanted to totally flip that on its head. And we had to go to the industry and say, you know, you're using the sampling as a gift. And that is an activity to use for loyalty. Mm-hmm. We think we can use samples for customer acquisition. Yep. Right. And I mean, we were speaking a lot of different languages. It, it took a long time to get the beauty industry to understand um, how this could be a win, win, win and come along with us and change. But customers understood it immediately. I mean, everyone was wrong. We launched Birchbox and it was like, little bombs dropping all over the country where people were seeing them in mailboxes, seeing them in mailrooms, seeing them in office buildings and, you know, subscribing and deciding for themselves that they felt that that was, it was a good return on investment to have somebody send them deluxe samples that were, you know, hand selected and eventually personalized. Um, So I think the consumer immediately saw the value and it was, you know, us, finding small brands in the early days to build our companies together that really helped us get through the early part of the supply challenges. I have so many questions. (laughs) This is fascinating. Um, Those people that said no at the beginning that thought it's not going to work. What people were that? Was that everybody investors, investors, brands, Mm -hmm. brands actually participated in our beta test while saying it wasn't going to work, but they were kind of like, I mean, how cute. And what if it did? Like, that would be crazy. It's definitely not. But what if it did? That was kind of the conversation. I I think they thought for them, the insight they totally agreed with, like resonated this idea of, um, first of all, deploy the sample towards someone, you know, who paid for it. And follow what happens to them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to them, they were like, yes, that does make sense. And that sounds interesting. They, their skepticism was around the consumer's willingness to pay, which they really felt wasn't there. But they definitely said, but if it was, how great, right? And so our job was to show them that it was there. So when we did our test, we said, we're going to test three things. Number one, will consumers pay for samples? That was really important. So our test, even when we were just launching, everyone had to pay. Um, number two was would samples convert, which means in our jargon lead to a full size purchase. And number three was would brands see the results and decide that they wanted to grow with us. Right. Um, so we told them we were going to do this test for two months and then we were going to come back with the results and basically we needed their answer. (laughs) Um, like, would you work with us? And that was complicated, but we, I mean, the test results were amazing. Consumers were so willing to pay. We filled up 200 spots. We didn't let our friends and family in. And then we filled a wait list of over a thousand people asking to pay for this. Um, the conversion was extremely high, even though the site experience was 
I mean, sketchy to say the least. Um, and you know, we went to brands and we said, would you work with us? And there was a general like, yes, this is interesting, but there was still a lot of hurdles around the execution of working with some large institutions. Mm-hmm. Did you start by raising money or did you start bootstrap? We bootstrapped. Um, we bootstrapped initially to kind of get to the place where we could launch our beta, buy some boxes, um, get our initial customers in. And then we tried to fundraise and just couldn't because we were in between beta and we were planning, you know, we were graduating. So our plan was finish the beta, graduate, launch in September of 2010. And we had, you know, over a hundred meetings. It must have been of people being like, basically, you know, fundamentally questioning the idea to moderately intrigued, but almost everybody was just like, come back after you launch. Did you have any doubts? Like, uh, I honestly, every time somebody wasn't ready to come on board, which was every time I just thought we didn't say it right. It's like how, I mean, there's no question this is going to work in my mind. No, I, that's think the, that, that should be the dictionary definition of an entrepreneur, <laughs> right? That's the true answer is people were definitely asking fundamental questions and saying no. And I was like, okay, I didn't say it right. I gotta, I gotta figure out how to show you how <laughs> clearly this is going to work. Um, so yeah, people, people said no, but I didn't notice. Right. I think the best ideas are so innovative that people just don't understand yet. Yeah. I think that is the difficult part about inventing something, right? Is that you know, no one can envision it. And you, we couldn't even envision it. You know, we were so wrong about growing it. We were, we hit our five-year number in seven months. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, it was a whole different problem. We didn't have, we didn't do anything, any planning, any sort of getting people on board to deal with that because we had never done it before and we didn't know what we were seeing. So when did you start seeing the the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> There's no light at the end of the tunnel. The job is to be in the tunnel and find your own light. That is what I've found, right? It's not, I mean, it's the problems just change over time. It's not like it ever goes away when you're building, when you're inventing, when you're trying to create your own reality. It's, there is literally never an end to it. And if you live for the light, you are not living. You have to figure out how to be in the tunnel and like create light for yourself all the time and just appreciate it. It's a, it's an amazing experience to, to invent reality for humans, for consumers, for your team. It is a privilege. It is so cool. And I just try, and I think everyone should just marinate in that a little, even if you fail, you tried to invent something, you know, that's, that is so special. You become a part of you. People think it's a thing. Do you, do you ever have that feeling with your brand when you're yeah. like, this is a thing. People think it's a thing, you know, yeah. that's, um, I think it's really fantastic. And I think no matter what, once you feel a little of what that is like, it's hard to, it's hard to ever not want to have that feeling. Yeah, totally agree. You've started Birchbox Men. Uh, when was that? We started Birchbox Man in 2014. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I mean, I think it's funny because at the time, even all of the brands that we were talking to that were doing women and men told us like, absolutely, this is happening. This is coming. It's it's changing. And it is. But I think it's still, you know, in its nascent days in terms of consumers, men, um, just feeling comfortable that this is something that could be for them. We definitely obviously have tapped into, you know, 
a lot, a fair amount of them. But I do think that there's a little bit of distraction around what's out there for men, some things that are trying to, and even for women, like overly simplify self-care. And that really upsets me because you can't get away from some of this, right? Like if you don't, you know, add moisture back to your skin in a certain way, like you're not ever adding moisture back. <laughs> so you're an educator. I, well, I just, I want consumers to be like informed. Yep. I want them to be empowered and to say like, I want to do this for myself and here's what's going to take. Not some marketing lie about like, you know, if you just like turn your face a little to the sun, you're going to suddenly feel like this. You know, you have to, you have to do work. If you want to transform the texture of your skin, it takes time. So did you start Birchbox Men because you saw that, you know, there were men using Birchbox? Absolutely. That's what happened. I mean, we really didn't think we would start Birchbox Men. In the early days, we assumed we'd kind of get all of these consumers that were women and then potentially do more things for women. Right. And we just kept hearing it was like this, you know, all the time drumbeat from our customers that was like my boyfriend, my husband, my brother, they keep like intercepting my box and they want to try things. And we were like, what? We just didn't think that the time was now, especially when it kept coming. Right. And like there was like more things and more things. And in some ways, what we had been taught to believe was that that to men would be like, we're all you know, done. Why mm -hmm. are there more? Mm -hmm. Um and we just kept hearing it. And then we said, okay, well, let's test it. And I think we thought there was an opportunity, but we weren't quite sure in the early days whether we would build something for women to buy men or whether we'd buy it, we'd build it for men to buy for themselves. And so we did a test basically to understand, yes, number one, would it, would we sell things? But number two, who would buy them, women or men? So we built a few thousand boxes um, and we launched it at holiday. I think it was 2013 before we launched officially. And we didn't do any marketing. And um, somebody, I forget which, somebody bought it, tweeted about it. And in any case, it sold so quickly and it all sold to men for themselves. And we were just like, wow, okay. We think there's an opportunity to do something for men. And that really is how it started. Okay. Men for men. We do a lot of um, user insights. So we talk to consumers and we do focus groups with consumers and people that aren't consumers are just, you know, New York men. Think about it five, six years ago, that would have been really difficult. Yeah. But now it's starting, it's starting to change a little bit. And I think women are a great way to kind of help push that also. Yeah, I think, I mean, New York City is obviously a different beast of it all. But yes, I mean, I still think for Birchbox, we see a lot of times that even if a man is the, the primary subscriber is what we call like related, like has a somebody in his life has a related account to the beauty subscription. And actually, actually I should say, you know, we started off thinking of Birchbox Man and obviously Birchbox, which was for women, but now we've switched our thinking to beauty and grooming yeah. because obviously there's a lot of changes happening in the world. So we're going to be um, changing the branding in the coming months. Cool. Or Birchbox man just to be, you know, grooming and a, a different category of self-care than beauty is. Um, but that is something that we see too. I mean, we definitely have heard from women who are interested in subscribing to the men's experience. Um, and that's something, you know, we wanted to celebrate and make feel more possible. I don't know if you see women walking in for themselves, but I'm sure yeah. they do. Yep, they do. <laughs> you can't keep us away. Um, how do you create trust? I mean, I've heard you talk about it before. How do you create trust with your customers? 
Um, that's a great question. I think it's the most important question. I think it's the only way to compete now when the barriers to entry are so low, right? Is having customers who trust you and feel that you care for them. I think that's what it comes down to. Um, and I'd say today, the most important thing we can do to create trust is to find the people who come to Birchbox to care, right? Who like want to create this experience for consumers and are so dedicated to it. And, and frankly, who like would stand on the soapbox with me telling people that customers deserve this and believing that in their heart. They believe to be cared. They, they deserve to be cared for. They deserve for every discretionary dollar they spend for someone to think about it and to not think we have the right to get it. You know, so I think finding the people who can come in to Birchbox, the company, and embrace that and care about our customers, they create the experiences and the words and the feelings and the videos and the things that feel like care come from them, right? Because we now are doing it at a scale. So that is that is it. But I think in the early days, it was just a micro version of that where we would talk to people, listen to them, get their feedback and not take feedback literally to say, oh, customers want lipstick, let's go get lipstick. But just to try to understand why people are coming to Birchbox, what their expectation was both to evolve what we did, but also to make sure we were clear about who we were to people. We want to find people who are still in play, who haven't felt at home yet buying this stuff, who feel either just uninspired or like it's a chore or maybe intimidated and just kind of do it on the side. We want those people to have this magical experience that they didn't believe they could have discovering this stuff because it's hard because, you know, you don't want to put the time and effort in and me neither, by the way. Um, and we want them to come and we kind of enjoy when they come skeptical. Skeptical is nice. Skeptical, you can turn into loyalty. So we, we want them to come. We want them to come with their questions and, and we want them to feel that we are in this with them and that we care, that we haven't stopped caring and that that means we're going to keep evolving. We all talk a lot about tribes, about virtual tribes, because now you can live you know right next door to somebody that in the past, that was your village, right? That was your tribe. Now the person living right next to you might be completely different, but there might be somebody on the other side of the planet that is right like who you are and is right in your tribe. And I think the more the, a brand is loyal to itself and creates something that's really clear, the people that are from that tribe will recognize that. Um, do you find that you relate to your customer too? And do you create... Uh, have you created Birchbox for yourself? Yes. I mean, of course, I think you're right. I think when you're building something direct to consumer, it's an obvious path, yeah. right? To build for yourself. And the way, you know, my, I was experiencing, my co-founder and I were experiencing beauty was that, I mean, to put it simply, we felt we are smart young women. Why does this still feel so confusing? And we don't care enough to make it not confusing, right? We weren't willing to put in so much time to really just like dig in and then come out of the library a couple weeks later and be like, now we get it. Right. Um, so we just wanted it to feel simple and enjoyable to buy beauty for us. And then later we realized what we had done, which was, I think, I mean, I think it is the genius of Birchbox, which is we, I think we just realized that there was this opportunity for the first time in history, but now it goes forward to not focus on the hyper consumer of the industry. Mm -hmm. 
and that the entire beauty industry had been focused on people who were obsessed with the beauty um, and who wanted to play with it, who wanted to come in and touch it. And that was, that was the biggest disruption prior to Birchbox was this specialty retail where you could come and play. What do you do to stay in touch with that consumer? So we are extremely available. Um, we obviously create content for that consumer and are responding there. But um, I also, you know, am available to consumers and put myself out there and invite, you know, questions um, via, you know, all the typical social channels, but also via email. Um, and con- and I'm with con- I'm constantly in contact with consumers who decide to engage there. And we really, just customers want- just send you emails and you yeah. Get back to them. I do. I know people don't think it's me. And it's really funny. A lot of times they'll be like, oh yeah, this isn't, I'm sure this isn't you. But I'm, yeah. I don't know what else to say other than it's me. You started in 2010. Mm-hmm. What do you do to stay relevant? Uh, relevance is the game. Um, we are open to this, you know, the existential questions of our reality as I guess what we do to stay rele- relevant. We invite people to question the fundamental nature of what we do and to say, how does it bring about, does it bring value to consumers today? How does it need to evolve? Um, we just launched the beginning of what is a new experience at Birchbox coming out of a realization that we need to be more relevant. We invented something in 2010. It has been interpreted in many ways. And, um, most importantly, we want to be very clear that what we're doing we think is still pretty different because we're targeting a different consumer. So how should the product evolve in order to show that consumer, you know, that it's built for them um, and also show the consumer the kind of relationship we were trying to be in to your question. Having so many employees doing so many things, uh, having so many customers, how do you stay sane? What do you do to stay sane? <laughs> I laugh. I like think it's all funny try to stay um, very in touch with the joy and humor of the challenges. Um, Try to kind of see the world through that way of like, this is, there's always going to be things that feel, I guess, quote unquote insane. But once you, once you experience enough of them, (laughs) to be honest, you just, you don't even, they don't phase you. I mean, you're, you're just kind of acknowledge. Um, I feel like I just acknowledge, oh, this is an insane moment. This is an insane period. And I accept it and know that it will end, you know? And so I don't, like I, I said to you earlier on, I don't have this, you know, this feeling that I have to wait for the light, but I just know, like knowing that it will end and knowing you get through things, that's like a way of generating your own light and happiness. Um, I also find so much joy just having, a family and having a totally different place, different, complete experience around humans that are just navigating the world, you know, tiny humans that are making sense of it all. I don't know. They just make things seem so lovely. Even them trying to understand what I do for work is just a hysterical thing. I mean, they come to work, they basically think their father and I, what we do for work is like, we go to a place that has a lot of people our age that seem fun and we eat snacks. Cause there are snacks there, you know, <laughs> and that is just delightful that they're like, got to go to work, see your friends and have some crackers, you know, cause when they come, you know, they go get crackers. So, and sometimes they'll come but to an event. But that's really what you do, right? It's exactly what I do. There's just, it's basically a cracker party every day. I mean, day. that's what I do. So, 
I don't know. I, I, I feel joy. I was also, um, I've, I think I'm on this like very different side of it. I've always been somebody who intellectually appreciated this, but I was also hospitalized for a hundred days last summer, um, pregnant with my fourth child and separated from my family in a very high risk situation to both of our lives. Um, and I don't know, like that whole experience, it just changed me. And I feel even more so just grateful and like, I can just see the joy, the humor, the beauty. I know that sounds so silly, but I think ever since that too, I feel more lucky and more able to really feel the gratitude of just trying. Um, so you have four kids, right? Yes. I have four kids. I have twins that are almost five and then a 21 month old and a six month old. Wow. Yes. It is wonderful. And you know, hard to get out of the house. So how is it to be an entrepreneur mother? How, how hard it is? It's the best. Um, I'm so much better having something else that I care about. I didn't realize it when it was happening. I felt, you know, I think we all feel kind of proud of how obsessed we are with our companies, kind of proud that we think about them 24 seven, kind of proud that we'll work 18 hours if needed. Um, and that is really important. Like that kind of grit is important. That kind of just energy for what something you really care about is important. But frankly, if, if it is 24 seven for years, it's kind of hard to be creative again. Yeah, hard to I mean, have like the energy for that. Yeah. And having kids was the first time in years that I thought about something else, really thought about it for a long time. And, and even just a couple hours experiencing them and truly not thinking about work um, just made me fresher for work, made me have just a different frame of mind that I think brought more creativity and more vision and more um, ability to lead um, because I had a few hours that I wasn't obsessing about the business. Do you meditate? Do you do yoga? Am I, yes, I meditate. I have just started, um, I'm just getting back from like a hundred days of bed rest. I'm in physical therapy. It's so weird. Um, so I'm doing physical therapy Pilates right now, which I really like. Um, but I did do a little yoga. I mean, look, the hardest thing right now and in general with four kids is ever making time for yourself. Yeah. So the, I mean, you're envisioning that I do Pilates, but like, hopefully I do it twice a month. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm mostly trying to find, I'm still, you know, nursing a baby. I'm always making time for that. And mostly just trying to see my kids and get some work done and have, you know, dates with my husband and see some friends. And then a little bit right now of exercise that isn't just walking around New York city with four kids. Um, but I'll get back once, once the baby is a little less baby. <laughs> there are specific scent that you remember that sends you somewhere. I mean, that is just like the most visceral thing for me. Food is just my fave. I think if you live in New York city, it's gotta be up there, right? You struggle just to be able to eat some of the food here. Yeah. Um, and my mom said that when I was 18 months old, they were traveling through Europe for six months. We were in Italy for a couple of days. And then we went, my family lives in Greece, my dad's family. And then she came back three months later. And they both tell this story of an 18 month year old pulling their hand through alleyways 
up to the back of a building into the door, which was the back of a restaurant that we had eaten in. But I sent them through the back door and said that I like could smell the food and like needed to eat this one. (laughs) And, you know, it's always been a joke in my family that I was so motivated by food since very young. So what do you think about when you think Mediterranean? Is that Greece? I think about people who live in the moment. I think about people who like feel joy in the moment and are more content, you know, which is a beautiful thing. I think there is something exhausting around always seeking more. It's more of how I'm hardwired. When I go to Greece, I think about slowing down, just taking in, appreciating, you know, the beautiful simplicity of everything. I think about just the simple food that you know, the ingredients are just so good that everything tastes amazing. I think about olive oil. I think about the only place, you know, I think about how gross tomatoes are in the United States all the time when I'm there and eat good ones. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I just associate so much this like, yang, this yang, I don't know yeah. the other part of me that wants so badly to come out around just taking a deep breath and, and living for now. It's um, we're the whole store that we're uh, recording in our pop-up is inspired by Greek rooftop gardens. And we really think about beauty as being something other than just the ingredients and the products. It's also about wellness. It's also about slowing down and taking some of the stress out of your life and, you know, being with your family. Um, So we're really trying to have this experience, create a lot of calm in, in your life. Also it's, Around the Mediterranean, it's everywhere. In Greece, uh, you know, it's amazing rooftop gardens. In Italy, you have La Dolce Vita. And uh, it's just focusing on yourself and focusing on what you eat and focusing on high quality. My husband and I went for a part of our honeymoon to Italy and we took a cooking class with a local chef that was famous. And a big part of the cooking class was going to pick herbs from her garden, like hand selecting what she wanted to use and I mean, the craft of that, there's this idea of like the simplicity and every day based on what I want to cook, I'm going to go and get the perfect fresh things. Ah. I just reached ah. out and grabbed some fresh rosemary oh for my, my in-store garden. It's so beautiful. Right. That scent is mm. just immediately Mediterranean. So amazing. Right? Yes. Immediately Mediterranean makes it feel sunny. Um, so what was the most challenging moment you remember from starting Birchbox? Oof. There've been different challenges at different times. I mean... In the early days, I think it does seem like one of the most acute challenges and painful memories was just watching the demand skyrocket and not having supply and just not knowing what we were going to do. We couldn't convince the beauty industry fast enough that this was a thing. And I just, I literally felt like I was pounding the pavement every day, begging people to, to be a part of this. Um, and it just was this almost like treadmill that kept getting faster and steeper for such a long time until we finally put up a wait list that got huge, um, and ended up doing, you know, creating something that became a future challenge, which was competition. Um, but that is the thing that I remember crying a lot about, which is there are people who want this and we can't you know, serve that, that desire. Where, where do you see the beauty market and specifically the men's beauty market going? I think where everything's going is, um, 
this opportunity and ability to do more for yourself. I think that's happening as, um, you know, as, as basically companies are taking on more of like the work and the behind the scenes, like you have more time to consider what you want. Um, I hope that consumers use it to take care of themselves and to slow down instead of fitting more in, you know, I think that's, that's the alternative is fitting more in. Um, I think right now, I mean, and I don't see how it would go away. Consumers want to experience something that has what I'd call, you know, the there, there, like somebody who's obsessed over it, somebody who's thought about it, somebody who really cares. And it isn't just like, you know, a cool new brand and a great logo. It's somebody who really thought about something that they saw missing um, and they wanted to give more people the experience of having. I think those realities and those stories, people call them authenticity, but I think we're all so exhausted of that term. Um, that w- does matter and it will continue to hold water. And it's very challenging because eventually there's this this thought people have that I think we've all been tried, like led to believe, which is eventually you can't do it. Eventually you have to scale and one of the smartest people I've ever spent time with was also the first investor of Birchbox. His name is Gary Vaynerchuk. And he said so many amazing things to me over the years. But one of the things he said is uh, like, he's just obsessed with this idea of scaling the unscalable. And I am obsessed with it too. I mean, he has totally inspired me around like, why do we accept that at some point we can't show customers we care? Why? I mean, we should, we should be building all of the innovation around scaling it, right? Around being able to care at scale and out care other people. Um, I do think it's what consumers, whether they know it or not, they want, but I, I also think it's what all of us deserve. Thank you so much for coming. It's uh, been a fascinating hour and hopefully we'll meet again soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining our conversation with Katya Beecham. To learn more about Birchbox, go to birchbox.com. We'll have a new episode out very soon, so hit subscribe and stay tuned. We'd love to hear what you think, so please rate, review, or send us an email at hello at mapilim.com. That's M-A-A-P-I-L-I-M. If you want to learn more about our skin and hair care routine, check out mapilim.com and use coupon code SAND for a 15% discount. Head to thesand.co to discover more about slowing down. See you again next time.